Welcome to the Bird Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. This is episode 56, and today's guest is Ian Davies, the eBird Project Coordinator at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. He is going to tell us all about the Cornell Lab, eBird, and give us all the information that we need about the global big day that is coming up on the 8th of May. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Be sure to check out our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our youth podcast, and our various social media platforms. So without further ado, let's hear from today's guest, Ian Davies. Okay, Ian, before we chat about the global big day, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how this love for birds started? Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, just want to start out by saying uh, thanks, thanks, Adam, for the opportunity to, to connect here. It's, uh, it's really exciting to be able to be a part of the Birding Life podcast. So my name's Ian. Um, I have been birding since I was 12 um, when I went down the street about a kilometer or so from home to a ringing station that a family friend had told me about. And uh, Went there, walked in, wasn't sure about this whole bird thing, and then somebody put a uh, adult male Canada warbler in my hand to be released, and uh, there, there's no going back from that. So uh, since that moment, I've kind of been lost uh, to everything feathered and uh, have been birding the rest of my life. And you were just saying before we came on air that it's migration season, and you say it's quite crazy there at the moment. Yeah, no, uh, I'm currently in coastal Texas, um, near High Island, kind of one of the, the big spring birding destinations in North America. And the last few days have been one of the biggest kind of migration fallouts in, in decades, is what the locals have been saying. So yesterday I had 143 species um, just at one sanctuary, walking around on foot, uh, 24 different species of North American warbler. It's been incredible. For the sake of South African listeners who have maybe never experienced this, the, you know, the spring fallout and that, I know I saw a little bit of, a little bit of it on the, the Big Year movie, but tell us first, and what is it like to experience it? Yeah, no, it's, it's this really interesting phenomenon um, kind of of migration where migration and weather collide in a way that in many ways is actually unfortunate for birds, but an incredible spectacle to witness. Um, so many bird species migrate across the Gulf of Mexico, crossing from the Caribbean and Mexico into the Southern United States. And normally they want to do that with a a Southern tailwind, makes them fly faster, easier, less energy. Um, but if that wind is Northern when they're crossing the Gulf, then when they arrive on the U S side, they're, they're really tired and their focus is food. And so in that moment, they kind of lose a lot of their fear of humans and are really focused on food. So kind of results in a a birding spectacle where you have scarlet tanagers and orchard orioles and indigo buntings hopping around almost at your feet. Um, I had a summer tanager try to land on me multiple times yesterday um, and just kind of this amazing way to witness birds and migration in an incredible active context. I know, since I saw the big year, it's something that I really, really want to experience one day. It looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, see you out here next spring, maybe. 
<laughs> Hopefully see how it goes with the whole COVID traveling situation, that type of thing. So yeah, Ian, you are the eBird project coordinator at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Um, we did chat about the lab in episode 47 of the podcast, but for the sake of those who might not have listened to that episode, can you tell us a little bit about the lab? Yeah, so I, I feel really fortunate to be a part of the um, Cornell Lab of Ornithology team. Um, so there's about 250 or so folks that, that work at the lab kind of across a range of bird and, and conservation disciplines. So our goal is really to uh, kind of engage a world um, in appreciation of nature and birds and biodiversity uh, in a way that is um, science-based and conservation-focused. And so being able to um, try to create tools and resources that can engage people in the natural world in a way that both gets people excited about what they're seeing in their gardens or their local ponds or parks, and also in a way that um, encourages uh, scientific data collection, research that helps us understand our world better, and then at the end of the day, conservation impact. Um, and so there, um, like you said, I, I work as a part of the eBird project, where our goal is really to connect bird-interested people around the world uh, in a way that keeps birds exciting and fun, which is why I think we all like it. Um, and that also supports research and conservation at a global and, and regional scale. So you spoke about that. You touched on that now that you're the eBird project coordinator at the lab. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? What does your job look like? You know, everyone has this idea, you know, go work for Cornell Lab. You just look at birds the whole day. And I'm sure it's not like that. What does your job look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, the, the, the kind of running joke is that, you know, if you have an eBird checklist going actively, you can, you can bill that time. I'm, I'm sorry to say that that's, that's not true. We, we wish it was, but it's not. So a, a, a given day is, is really variable. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's really fun for me. A lot of my focus is on outreach uh, and partnership building uh, and also kind of helping manage the technical developments uh, for eBird. So any given day, so today I'm, I'm talking with you, later today I have a call with folks in Japan with whom we're exploring how we can support the conservation work they're doing. Um, tomorrow I have a call with folks in Zambia. And so there's just lots of opportunities every day to connect with groups that are doing fantastic work in birding conservation research and see how the resources the lab has might be able to support the work that they're doing. And so we really see our role as a platform for the success of groups working in, in birding, however we can support that. Um, so it's just a really, a really fun, rewarding thing to be able to kind of just try and listen and, and see what we can do to, uh, to help make birding be as, as fun and useful for everybody in, in every way as best as it can be. I must be honest, when I first saw the eBird app, probably when I first, you know, starting off my birding journey, I really thought it was very much an American app. Um, and I think there might be a lot of people that maybe have that impression that it's more based on, it's more made for American birders. But um, can you tell us a little, a little bit about the eBird app and how it operates and that kind of thing? Yeah, certainly. I mean, one of the things, so eBird's been around since 2002 now, which is almost 20 years, which is crazy to think about. And it started off as a, a U.S.-Canada thing, kind of a, a proof of concept. Can we, we use this newfangled internet concept as a way to collect bird sightings? And uh, it seems as though the, the internet has longevity, and hopefully these kind of bird recording schemes will as well. So it started off in U.S. and Canada and then expanded globally in, in 2010. And so, yeah, wherever you are in the world, wherever you're birding, whatever you see, those data can go into eBird uh, if you want them to. 
And it's also important to note that there's a lot of other um, systems around the world that are collecting data similarly. And uh, there's, there's a lot of great information to be gained through any of these systems. And so uh, in the context of eBird, we just aim to make this a resource that wherever you are, you can hopefully use this to track your sightings for your own lists, to help support research and conservation, and to also use the data exploration tools of eBird to better understand what you might be able to find and how to identify birds as well. Um, so it is a global thing now. It hasn't always been, but um, wherever you might be, um, we really think about things with a global focus, and we'd love to know how eBird can support uh, your interest in birds. Yeah, so you spoke about there about when you record data, there's a conservation focus behind it. So what is the data actually used for? Yeah, I, to me, that's that's one of the most kind of fun and, and rewarding parts of this is that there's this goal at the end of the day to kind of give give back in, in my mind is how I think about it. give give back to the birds and the ecosystems and the places that are so special to to I think all of us who who appreciate birds and the eBird data model has really been one of kind of open access so any data that you log in eBird are available to researchers conservationists, educators, anybody around the world who could use bird data to kind of give back to this broad community, to engage new communities. And um, so to date, uh, eBird data have been used in, I would need to check, but I believe it's over 400 different peer-reviewed publications, everything from kind of local and regional journals through science and nature communications. And in addition, there's many local and regional impacts. So some governments actually use eBird data for decision-making on kind of citing maybe renewable energy, solar or wind farms, or uh, in some cases, figuring out how to better conserve birds. So uh, in the United States, for example, eBird data have been used in endangered species decision-making. Um, in India recently, uh, they did the first ever state of India's birds, kind of the first comprehensive look at the state of India's bird life uh, using entirely eBird data, um, which to me is just a really powerful narrative that this is all data from uh, bird watchers, people who are just doing this out of fun in many cases. And at the end of the day, that has then resulted in a national level publication that is being used for conservation decision making at all levels uh, in a way that was never possible before. I know this is an audio podcast, which makes it a little bit trickier, but I'm going to ask you to give us a quick tutorial. So if somebody you know, goes after this episode and decides to download eBird, how would they use eBird on a practical level on the field? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So there, there's kind of two, two lenses through which to, to use eBird uh, in, in a broad way. One is kind of the mobile app. Uh, so on Android or iOS, if you just search eBird, um, you'll get that. And that app is really focused on data collection, kind of um, reporting your sightings. So it's designed to be kind of as, as streamlined as it can be. And basically all you need to do to log a sighting in eBird is have a bird, a date, and a location. That's, that's kind of the core needs for what we call an eBird checklist. And so a checklist in eBird is basically you were out at a specific place on a specific date and you saw these birds. And so if you go to a reservoir, walk around that reservoir, you would log everything you see on that reservoir and during your walk as a single checklist. And then that checklist can have a start time, how long you were out, how far you traveled, 
all this information that's really valuable for researchers to put into context your sightings. So um, to use it, it's as easy as basically downloading the app, firing it up, and it'll give you a list of the expected birds at your location for that time of year. So there's kind of already just a, a subset of what could be possible in your, your country or region. And then you can just uh, start logging what you see. Um, so that's kind of the, the mobile app data entry side. And then if you go to ebird.org, um, the, the web side, then there's all of the full data exploration elements. You can download data for your own uses if you want. You can explore all your numbers, your totals, and you can also enter your settings there as well. Yeah, the website's actually amazing. It's an amazing resource, especially for those who are looking to plan trips and that kind of thing. It's just, it's very, very powerful resource what you guys offer on the website. Yeah, well, well, thanks for those kind words. I mean, that, that's our hope is to be able to provide resources that are that are useful to folks. And so, yeah, you can sign up for rare emailed rare bird alerts. You can pull up target lists of all the species that you haven't seen in a region that are the most likely ones based on reports from other birders. And uh, it's it's definitely something I spend more time on it that I should probably admit to anyone. But uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. That's what we try to keep it. And then one of the challenges always, especially when you, you know, work across different countries is the naming of birds. What checklist is used for the eBird? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, bird, bird names and taxonomy are definitely just this critically important piece to, uh, to make sure that it gets right. Because if you're not using the same name, it's hard to, hard to refer to it. So in eBird, the, the core taxonomy that kind of underpins the names and the, the life lists and such is the uh, Clements eBird taxonomy. Um, so it's managed kind of at the Cornell lab. Um, and that has been the kind of underpinning of that. But what we do is we support bird names kind of mapped to the Clements taxonomy in a variety of ways. So for example, you can go in and choose English South African for your bird names. And if you do that, you'll then be able to have the names mapped to uh, the, the kind of local nomenclature for the um, for the Clements taxonomy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I talk about bird names. I know there's a big move in America now to change a lot of the names of the birds that were named after people specifically. Yeah, no, there, there's a great ongoing conversation around that. And there was actually a community uh, congress last Friday uh, that, that really dove into that specific concept with uh, a lot of stakeholders in, in the room. Um, and Marshall Iliff of the eBird team uh, was there as a part of the panel talking about this. Um, so yeah, definitely a really timely conversation. And uh, if you if you want to learn more, I would definitely recommend checking out that um, AOU Community Congress on bird names just this, uh, this past Friday. Join BirdLife South Africa on 27 and 28 May 2021 for the fifth virtual Learn About Birds or Lab conference. Attend both the Science and Layman's Lab for just 800 Rand or enjoy four world-class Layman's Lab lectures for just 350 Rand. For more information, visit the BirdLife South Africa website or email lab2021 at birdlife.org.za. Lab is co-hosted by BirdLife South Africa and the Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology. Proceeds from this event will go towards conserving South Africa's most threatened birds and their ecosystems. So Ian, why we got you on the show is to chat about Global Big Day, which is coming up on the 8th of May. So just to start off, tell us what this day is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Global Big Day for me is kind of one of my most favorite days of the year. The idea of Global Big Day came to about six years ago now. Um, and there's kind of this this idea of a big day, I think, that, that many of, of us will be familiar with. You go out, you get a few buddies, you pack into a car, and you go on a birding bender for 24 hours usually. 
And uh, at the end of that, you are variable amount of uh, consciousness and sanity. Um, and I've usually seen a lot of birds. And for a lot of folks, I think that's that's a really fun fun way to, to participate in, in, uh, in birding, occasionally at least. And one of the things that's been really powerful about big days, I think, has been the team aspect. And the lab had had this annual kind of spring big day. And the question was kind of, well, why should we just have the team be, be one group of people? How, why can we not celebrate birds with more, more folks? And so the idea of Global Big Day was kind of born as uh, an opportunity to engage uh, a world of bird-interested people in a single-day snapshot of the world's birds in a way that also celebrated a little bit of the, the zaniness, maybe, of kind of going out for, for one day and, and seeing what you can find. So Global Big Day is basically a 24-hour period, um, wherever you are, so May 8th uh, at your local time. And the challenge to you is to basically represent the birds of your region, your patch, your garden, whatever it might be, in a way that uh, ensures they're kind of captured in this global snapshot of, of the world of birds. And so last year, um, over 50,000 people uh, participated in Global Big Day from over 170 countries. And the, one of the things that's been so powerful to me is just the kind of barrier breaking that, that birds provide. People love birds regardless of region, location, language, and Global Big Day is just a great way to, to kind of have that uh, bring people together on this this single day and uh, it's coming up soon and you've obviously spoken earlier about how the eBird data is used is there uh, obviously there's you know gathering all this the information on one day gives you almost a, a thing where you can compare for one from one year to the next to see it almost gives you a snapshot into the into how birds are doing around the world yeah absolutely no it's it's this really valuable data set and one of the things that's kind of been fun is that Global Big Day, like you say, is this this great snapshot. You can kind of do year year to year comparisons. The other thing I think that at least those of us kind of at the lab and on the eBird team, we really think of every day kind of as a Global Big Day potential. That um, really you don't need to go crazy and bird all out, but that every day there there's so much to learn. And if all the birds that everybody is seeing around the world can kind of be pooled together in a way that that's accessible, there's so much we can learn. So Global Big Day data are used in the variety of conservation and research impacts in eBird, and they've definitely um, contributed directly to better understanding uh, and hopefully protecting the world of birds. So what was amazing, you touched on it earlier, in 2020, 6,538 species were recorded globally, and over 52,000 participants took part which was actually a world record for a single day of birding what has the data that has been recorded over the years shown you guys about the state of the birds of the world yeah i i mean i think one of the things that has been amazing and is is kind of maybe related to the state of birds of the world is kind of the state of birders in the world and um over the past few years, just seeing the explosion of interest in birding and birdwatching um, at a global scale, especially uh, in the COVID era, over the last year, um, we've we've been seeing kind of across the the projects at the lab a thirty to eighty percent year over year growth in uh, in just people engaging with birds, and just thinking of the the opportunities that that provides. Um, for better both understanding and building appreciation for 
the birds of our world. So yeah, global big day data um, in house, we pull those into a lot of the internal analyses we do. We don't have kind of any specific pieces to call out on in terms of global big day helped us understand this, but maybe this year will will be the year um, that that we're able to kind of really begin to to dive into that. And uh, there's. There's so much still to learn. You know, what's interesting about that is the data that comes through doesn't just give you information for conservation, but I can start thinking of various countries where, you know, birds being recorded and you're able to see the amount of birders that are in the country. It also provides information for things like tourism and and those kinds of things. And I mean, for especially in, in Africa where tourism is, you know, ecotourism is such a big part of what we do. You know, the data is actually incredibly valuable. No, I think that's a that's a really critically important point that uh, in, in many regions, birding is is kind of a, a novel, novel idea, um, where there isn't necessarily a culture of kind of recreational bird watching, but that there can be a real opportunity to build that appreciation of birds into the interest of, of individuals in a region. And a great way to to have that happen has been to provide value for birds. How, how do people value the existence of birds? And that definitely varies region to region. And one of the ways that the birds can provide value, like you say, is, is tourism. Um, and so being able to provide tools and, and frameworks that support local guides, um, regional tourism, anything along those lines has, has been a, a really exciting thing to dive into. And so in the, within eBird, we've been, been working to try to provide more tools to allow local guides to kind of advertise their services, advertise what they're seeing. Um, and since many birders use eBird, uh, globally at least, to plan their trips or figure out where a bird is they want to see, by having a guide post their, their recent sightings of their rare and local specialties, that's often a, just a quick connection to make for anybody that, that then reaches out. So we're, we're aware of many, many... Um, guides who who have gotten business through eBird by posting their sightings and then having a, a visiting tourist reach out and connect with them for, for a day or week of guiding. So if somebody listens to this episode and says they want to take part, how can they take part in the global big day? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And the best part is, is that it's easy. So all you have to do is on May 8th, wherever you are, report at least one checklist of birds to eBird. So all you have to do is go out and find at least one bird wherever you are and uh, log that either using the mobile app or at ebird.org. And you can find all this information at ebird.org slash global big day. Um, and we have kind of a, a quick and easy um, information on how, to, uh, on how to get started. And that's all you have to do. One bird on May 8th. You know, we don't like to admit it, but most birders have a little bit of a competitive side when it comes to these kinds of days. So what tips can you give to people to make the most out of the day? So this is Ian Davies' guide to global big day. How do you really knock the day out of the park? <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun question. Yeah, I, I mean, I think to me, one of, the, one of the fun things about birding is just how it's different for everyone. Some, some folks might get a, a lot of the competitive side. Some folks might not. For those who are on the competitive side, I know I at least really like to kind of compete with myself between years to kind of see, okay, if I'm, if I'm doing, doing this, what did I get last year on Global Big Day? Can I get more this time around? So last year, I think I got 110 species or so um, on the day. So this year, 
Can I get 120? Can I get 130? Um, I'll often go to uh, the eBird hotspot map and pull up kind of what locations are nearby, maybe plan out a bit of the day, go for some fun around that. can also be fun to challenge other people. Um, if you got a, a friend or two who's going to be birding that day, maybe challenge them to a little bit of friendly rivalry. The other thing that's that's been a lot of fun has been kind of representing your region. So maybe uh, can your state get more species than the neighboring state or the rival state across the country? And is there an opportunity there to then kind of band together and coordinate within um, your state to see if you can get kind of everything you could that day or maximize that? There's there's a lot of just kind of fun games you can play and see how it goes. So yeah, if you're if you're looking to take part and the competitive side's fun for you, maybe poke around at last year's results and see how people did, how individual folks did, how states did. What can you do this year? It's a fun question. So I saw on Instagram, I don't know who it was who posted it, but I saw that there's actually a youth challenge that's connected to the day. Are these challenges organized by you guys? And if not, how, you know, how can people connect with these kinds of challenges? One of the things that's been really fun for Global Big Day is that we, we really do see this as just a platform for, for creativity. So we just kind of put this out there and say, hey, on May 8th, let's all see what we can do together and then leave it up to anybody who wants to, to kind of take that and, and run with it. Um, so in, in South Africa for a youth challenge, I do know that there were some folks who went out last year and really tried to kind of represent the youth birding community. And it was terrific. Um, so I have to admit that I'm actually not aware of, of any challenge this year. Um, and that's, that's kind of exciting in some ways, um, that I think it's really cool that there's kind of this opportunity to customize and, and make an event like this your own. Um, without having to to kind of formalize it in any way. So, yeah, I, I know after this, I'm going to go search for uh, Global Big Day South Africa Youth Challenge and see what I can learn because it uh, sounds really exciting. I see the Young Birders Big Day is organized by the American Birding Association, ABA, and you can check it. There's a link in there on their Instagram, and they say your prizes for winners in age categories and awards for the best photos and videos. So it's quite cool. And obviously, it ties into what you guys are doing. So you guys can check it out on the ABA's Instagram. I think there's a link in their bio. Brilliant. I know what I'm doing right after this. So a big part of Birding Night is, is the social media elements of it. How would people be able to connect via social media on the day? Yeah, so the best way to connect via social is just use hashtag Global Big Day on your platform of choice. So uh, on our kind of eBird channels, we'll be posting and sharing content across Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, but regardless of the platform, uh, if you use hashtag Global Big Day, uh, we'll then see your your pieces and be retweeting and, and sharing uh, content from, from folks throughout the day. So it'd be terrific to see, uh, yeah, pictures of your teams if you're able to connect with people, um, pictures of the birds you see, places you go, and uh, the fun you're having, hopefully. So let's just go back to eBird just to finish off today. Um, what future developments can we look forward to in the near future with eBird? Yeah, one of the things we're, we're really trying to do is, is figure out how to just make eBird kind of as, as easy to use, both for finding birds and reporting birds across mobile, web, and constantly trying to improve that. One of the things that folks have, have asked a lot about in the, in the coming years we're, we're hoping to look into more is kind of better communication, um, maybe thinking of ways to have eBirders be able to choose to be messageable um, by, by other eBirders. So trying to build the community that I think makes birding really powerful. 
Um, so something along those lines. And then also uh, we're working to build kind of some comprehensive uh, trip report style products that will hopefully make it even easier for folks in birding tourism to use eBird to quickly summarize their data for potential clients or um, to highlight birds of a region. So in the coming years, those are a couple things we're, we're looking into and uh, can't wait to share them with you. Oh, that's awesome. Ian, I really appreciate you you giving up your time. We'll pop all the relevant links into the comment section of this podcast, but thanks for your time. I know it's like half past nine in the morning over there. So thanks for giving up your time. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Adam, for the opportunity to, uh, to be a part of this and can't wait to see what you find on May 8th on Global Big Day. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a laugh list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.